You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, the tech rally, Ed. Is it exhausted? Strategists sour on the sector amid a muted reaction to NVIDIA's results. We'll break down the outlook amid Jackson Hole. Plus, by now, pay later company affirm beats revenue estimates in its fourth quarter results. There is an insane share reaction. We will speak to the CEO, Max Levchin. And China's Meituan falls after warning that growth in its core meal delivery business is going to slow amid economic turbulence. We'll have that and so much more throughout this hour. But first, let's check in the Powell result. And actually, he manages to stick to his usual party line. No great surprises. A hawkish tone coming from the Fed chair over in Jackson Hole. We're looking at the Nasdaq just off about a tenth of a percent as we see bond yields just push on the higher side, particularly at the front end. We're up about four basis points, maybe a bit less on the longer end than the 10-year. But notably, a little bit more of a hawkish tone, but not one that upends the market entirely, Ed. I'm looking at Bitcoin just off by about three tenths of a percent. Dollar did track a little bit higher throughout that speech. But moving on to what the picture of the week has been, because amid this volatility, amid these worries of China, amid the macro sentiment turning sour, in fact, we hold on to gains through the Nasdaq 100 throughout the five days. We're up six tenths of a percent. Remember the heady heights we lifted into ahead of NVIDIA and post NVIDIA's results. But some of that's been starting to fade a little bit. But still a week again, Zed. You got the micro. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely Powell that's impacting the technology sector, but we still have earnings stories. Marvel Technology, a chip maker we discussed less, networking and hard disk controller maker, down 8%, biggest drop since last year, lowest level since May. An AI-relevant story that the profit outlook for this quarter was in line with estimates and the street was basically like, meh, you know, and they've moved on. But it's interesting, the psychological change for the market around AI. This is unbelievable. I, I don't do this often, but a firm you know, has rebounded. There was a, a pretty normal earnings call. We'll get into the numbers with the CEO. It's up 28%. I don't normally do this, but I went on HRH on the Bloomberg Terminal. It's a four standard deviations move. It's only happened once. So there is a big question of what is going on there. It is a popular name on Wall Street bets. Maybe that's a part of the story. We'll ask the CEO. Then I go back to NVIDIA. The enthusiasm from NVIDIA post its earnings, which we know on this show, we talked about them knocking out the park. 
we're now down 4% and it's caught up with the rest of the market. Maybe it's a kind of sell the news a day late kind of story, but that's pretty incredible turnaround. Everyone has kind of said, you know what, let's move on from the NVIDIA and AI story. Yeah, are they ready to? And really, we've had plenty of names, big market analysis coming out, just wondering whether this market rally is exhausted. Let's get Catherine Rooney-Vera's take, chief market strategist over at Stonex Group. And Catherine, we've heard from the likes, for example, of Mike Wilson over at Morgan Stanley, just talking about how this signal, the fact that NVIDIA failed to boost really the overall market is a technical signal that this rally is exhausted. Are you, for one, agreeing with that or not? Well, when you look at the chart and the videos back to its seven-year forward PE multiple, so that also tells us something at Stonex with our trading desk, desks we have seen an um, increased interest uh, since the past for the past three weeks since I came out recommending the protection on the triple Q uh, option with puts either put spreads or, or naked puts that has been um, remarkably profitable and our clients have benefited from from that perspective and that was because Caroline we thought that uh, tech was overdone with uh, almost year-to-date 50 basis point um, appreciation at that point. Now, in the macro context, with the Fed trying to persuade markets to believe it, that it's not going to change its 2% target, that it's serious about its 2% target, that it has a strict interpretation of its dual mandate, that to me says that 2024 is unlikely to be as much of a boon for this sector as we saw it uh, in 2023. You know, we're just a couple of hours post-Powell, so where we've left it is that it's too early to declare victory on inflation. They're going to be careful about raising rates, but I think the conclusion is higher rates, steady for longer. To your mind, Catherine, how does that relate to the technology sector? How do we price that into the tech sector in public markets? It seems that the markets have not priced in that reality. Markets still price in easing next year. Uh, So that tells us that... um, currently priced into uh, multiples are is the best case scenario. So the soft landing, uh, which is of course 2% uh, inflation target attainment uh, with no economic contraction, I think is unlikely to manifest unless the Fed does in fact either implicitly or explicitly change its 2% average target. So if it's serious about that target and it does have a strict interpretation of said target, then I think that uh, 2024 could be a difficult one for tech. And I would expect that um, the most interest rate sensitive sectors such as tech, such as consumer uh, communications and consumer discretionary would have a tougher time. So I do like, I think utilities is up today. Now I think that we have to be more defensively positioned. I like, uh, I like cash. I like gold. I like I like sectors that are defensive going into 2024 because the Fed is going to be in a tough spot. Either go for that 2% target and maybe even have to hike further, which has been my long-held contention, or change it explicitly or implicitly. I want to go back to this micro-narrative, though, because you paint a really clear macro picture. But there has been this almost ability for tech to outshine because of the productivity boost many are factoring into artificial intelligence. Now, I know that that's been questioned at the moment. I just want to go to what Steve Sosnick had to say on Bloomberg Television a little bit earlier about, well, the concern about lack of institutional buyers at this moment. Just take a listen, Catherine. 
you didn't get the institutional follow through uh, that I think you got, you know, from from the from the first round of buying and without follow through and with perhaps a little profit taking, um, you know, you end up you end up with a messy, messy kind of blah day that you had that you ended up with yesterday. So I just return back to it a little bit. Are there any names that are still the Magnificent Seven, for example, going to tread water because of AI or is that done? No, AI certainly has a long longevity and long path therein, but a lot has already been baked in in this euphoric AI. Now, markets try to um, to to price in ahead of time what's going to happen in the next five years. It's already been been priced in, so AI has to deliver now. Um, certainly, it, it is positive for productivity, but my concern, perhaps reverting back to that that inflation story, is productivity at current levels would have to accelerate meaningfully in the near term. That means that AI would have to really deliver in the next year to really compensate for 4% inflation. In other words, productivity is not sufficient at the current growth rate to over to, to make up for 4% inflation. So inflation stays around, AI is not there yet, and the Fed is going to have to stay on hold for the entirety of next year, again, negative tech, or potentially even hike, because inflation is very likely to reaccelerate under the scenario of soft inflation. This is an economy based on consumption. The consumer is strong, real wages are positive, and they're trending higher. That is not a good environment either for yes. uh, Fed's 2% target or for, uh, or for uh, rates coming down. You know, Caroline, I sit here on a Friday morning asking myself, what happened? What a <laughs> weird week. 24 hours ago, JP from Franklin Equity Group told us that the, the NVIDIA results were like the Godfather 2, yeah. where the sequel is as good as the original. But on a two-day basis, the stock's down 4%. It's like it never even happened. Yeah, mm-hmm. all you got to, within that, Ed, remember how far we've charged higher. More than 200% gain on this name throughout the year. The key outperformer of choice. Maybe it is just this moment to profit take. But, I mean, to that end, Catherine, it's really fascinating that you say sort of AI's got to deliver. Well, it kind of has been, at least at NVIDIA. I mean, we've got currently earnings expectations for 2024, their fiscal 2024, 171% growth for the next quarter that we're currently in, 178% revenue. So doubling even out until their first quarter of 2025, their fiscal. So with certain, what more do you need to see in proof in the pudding that really AI is here and is driving revenue for not just NVIDIA? Yeah, I would have to see it flow through into the productivity numbers. So we have to get that boost in U.S. productivity in a meaningful way. Remember, in the past six quarters, productivity was only positive, three of them. So, yes, the last quarter, if I'm not mistaken, around 3.7% annualized was positive. But I would like to see AI play into the real economy, Caroline. AI, everyone's talking about it. You know, you go into the corporate earnings and and guidance, and corporations are well-intended. But maybe not all of them are deploying it. Um, So I think deploying takes time. um, And certainly we're pricing that in today. But it has to flow through to the real economy over the course of the next five years to offset inflation. Mm -hmm. Um, NVIDIA, very interesting. You know, I think uh, seven, uh, reverting back to its seven-year multiple uh, is great. I'm not saying, you know, sell all of your tech sectors. But what I am saying is that volatility to protect those positions Mm. is relatively historically cheap. So why not deploy it rather than go into a potentially volatile 2024, you know, for lack of a better word, naked. You want to be protected. 
you know, I'm so glad you asked that, Caroline, because we're at the tail end of earnings season and it's almost September and we'll be back in the next one. And you wonder, do we go through the same expectation from an AI-driven growth cycle that we did in the last three months? Extraordinary. Catherine Rooney, very happy Friday to you, Chief Market Strategist at StoneX Group. Good way. firm out with its earnings after the bell yesterday and what a market reaction on the back of it. GMV ultimate transactions being made, basically rising some 25%. It's managing to beat on profitability as well, really guiding us and for a forward-looking expectation that really many analysts felt was very solid here. Look at the market reaction. Yes, you're up 28%. Now, I know, Eddie, you've been talking all about how many standard deviation moves this actually is. (laughs) It is an enormous move, but it actually only brings us back to where shares were trading at back at the beginning of the month. So it just shows you the volatility that we've had amid rising interest rates. We've got to dig into all of this with Max Levchin. He, of course, is the CEO of a firm. And, well, notable move on your stock, notable reaction from some of the analysts. Tell us about how sustainable this is, this transaction pickup. Does that last into the next quarter? Well, we did release guidance for next quarter, so we're feeling fairly optimistic, as uh, as you can tell in the numbers. Um, you know, as much as I'm enjoying the uh, the stock market reaction, we're very focused on the long term. So our, our goal here within a firm is to keep scaling. Uh, we're very excited to be able to deliver some excellent results this quarter, fiscal year. We, we beat across the metrics, and so we'll just keep on doing what we're doing. Uh, we are definitely energized by the growth, and in particular, the growth of the card product. We worked very hard for quite some time to deliver just a really innovative product with this Affirm card, and it's finally showing real signs of stickiness, and just very excited about that. Uh, Max, we, we note the guidance, um, you know, listened in on, on the call. You know, respectfully, nothing out of the ordinary. Your stock's up 29%. Why do you think the stock is up so strongly? If I knew how to uh, predict market movements of my own stock or any other stock, I'm sure I would uh, have a different job. I just know how to build good products and write software, and that, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> nice answer. I love that. But like, talk to us a little bit about that card. You led us there. And the fact that people, consumers in this moment, are looking for different ways to be able to pay, of course. They're able to pay in a normal debit transaction, but also then decide after the match whether or not they're going to be paying in installments. How is that pickup growing across the United States and North America? There's a real generational shift. I think the notion of just put it on your plastic, think about it later, something that worked for the generation that came perhaps before mine, but the ones that are coming after mine are very differently minded. They do like to know when they're done paying off the things they borrowed for. And this idea of packaging it all into a single card where you have a very crisp choice between paying now or paying over time, having the opportunity to make the decision a priori or after the transaction, which is what our card allows you to do, and not having to learn too many new concepts is just really, really powerful. By now, pay later, you know, the last 10 years, we kind of started the movement, really penetrated the younger generations, and yet still it's less than 1% of the total addressable market, but no one's ever packaged it into a single elegant card that just allows you to transact the exact same way you always do, be it at a grocery store or online or wherever in between, and have full access to both buy now, pay later functionality and a simple pay now functionality. And that's what this card is. And the demand is great. We can see that consumers are using a firm in store almost an order of magnitude more with the card than before they get it. The transaction frequency is already 3x between the card and non-card. And so it's just clearly the product market fit that we've been looking for. 
Max, your CFO, Michael Linford, acknowledged that actually 2023 has been really hard for a firm, but clearly things have improved and got better into the second half of this calendar year. What specifically has changed, either in the environment, in the consumer, or, or in your product? You know, I think we operate and think and act in longer increments than perhaps the uh, impatient stock market wants us to, but we refuse to cave to the quarterly game. Instead, we think in years and ideally in, in decades. And we, we started planning for the results of today a year ago. And the fact that we're able to deliver on them now is just a, you know, predictable perhaps, but a huge response and result by our team. The volatility of the interest rates all through last year, the fact that they moved up as quickly as they did, mm. quite unexpectedly, made it difficult for our capital markets to decide, capital market partners to decide how to price our product. Now that things are a little bit more stable, we're able to uh, execute that much better. I'm just going to ask a, a poker bear one at the end with Jeffries coming out saying results are driven by a combination of higher interest income and indeed lower expenses. So nothing to do with technology or growth. What do you say to that? <laughs> I think people uh, are welcome to judge our results, but they're pretty strong. And so I think that that's, uh, they speak for themselves. That said, I spent majority of my time worrying about our technology, mm-hmm. staying up long hours working on the card, making sure the card scales as well as it does, finding efficiencies in every place like customer service to uh, response time of our checkouts. The only thing that makes this company tick is our excellence in technology. So I, I, I f- fundamentally disagree with the, nothing to do with technology. <laughs> our firm CEO, Max Levchin, just wonderful to have you on the program post-earnings this Friday. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again soon, yeah. I'm sure. Now, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, remember when I took a fruit ride in Waymo's driverless? Look, that was me. There I am. Well, not everyone in the Bay Area. I know. Well, this speaks to the story because I have to be honest, not everyone in the Bay Area has been a fan of autonomous vehicles. We're going to have more on the growing backlash against robot taxis coming up next. Plus, SpaceX hit with another lawsuit from the Department of Justice. We're going to discuss the details of the suit and how Elon Musk and his company are responding. Things that drive on their own, things that get launched into space. Everything here on Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha 
for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Okay, time for talking tech. First up, Alibaba's cloud service says it is open sourcing its QuenVL and QuenVL chat AI models for computer vision and conversation. The new models are intended to help interpret and extract information from visual data in both English and in Chinese. One can test out the new models on Alibaba's model scope or an AI platform hugging face just on the show yesterday and india's newest unicorn is winning patrons over with its ultra fast grocery delivery service despite the nation's gloomy venture funding climate zepto has managed to raise 200 million dollars of fresh funds at a 1.4 billion dollar valuation it was founded by two 20 year old stanford university dropouts classic making them the youngest founders of any indian unicorn plus Cruz and waymo are facing growing backlash here in san francisco over traffic concerns caused by the robot taxis. A number of mishaps have occurred where cars have blocked traffic, gotten stuck, or even crashed into other objects. Tensions over driverless taxis are part of a broader conflict over the future of autonomous transport. Big story out from our team in SF and around the country, Carrie. Check it out on .com. Yeah, let's do a little different form of transport, at least maybe in the future, and some fighting that's happening therein. Ed, we've got to talk SpaceX, haven't we? Under scrutiny at the moment, Justice Department, for discrimination. Now, this is something that kind of resurfaces from time to time. This time it's claims that, say, SpaceX routinely discouraged refugees, people granted asylum, from applying to work at the company. I'm really pleased to say Eric Johnson, Bloomberg News Global Business Space Editor, is here with us. And Eric, I say this comes up time and time because it seems to be an ongoing narrative that Elon Musk himself pushes back against is that actually they're unable to hire people who aren't permanent residents of the U.S. Right. That's the thrust of the lawsuit filed yesterday um, with an administrative judge in Washington. The Department of Justice is alleging that for years SpaceX has discriminated against refugees and people who've been granted political asylum. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, the latest high-profile case brought by the Department of Justice against not just, you know, Elon Musk's portfolio of companies, but also companies like Walmart and others. Um, who've um, uh, been, been alleged to have engaged in discriminatory hiring practices. Eric, really quick, we've had some operational updates. SpaceX had a lot going on this week, but some of it seems delayed. What's the latest? SpaceX has a lot going on. It's going to conduct a static fire engine test um, potentially later today um, to test its colossal uh, Starship rocket engines. Um, you know, I'm sure you remember in April its explosive debut. SpaceX has made a number of upgrades to the technology, and in particular the launch pad, which was decimated by the um, by the launch. So they've got a water deluge system that they're going to test, which is essentially a, must described it as a tower head pointed up at the the rocket to uh, diffuse the energy from it um, and a number of other technologies uh, that yes. they're going to test today. Fantastic. We'll keep an arrest of all the things that are happening in the world of SpaceX. But Eric Johnson, really nice to have you here on the show. Thanks for running us all through it.
Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. Let's get a check on these markets as we have, of course, a volume down kind of a Friday amid what is, of course, a summer week. But the key macro driver is one, Jay Powell, who's been over at Jackson Hole discussing basically that they're still steadfast in their focus on inflation, but actually managed to bounce back higher. The hawkish tone had perhaps depressed NASDAQ 100 a little bit earlier, but now I'm looking at it up a tenth of a percent. So managing to tread water in the face of some of this more hawkish tones focus on fighting inflation with interest rates that are going to stay at these sorts of levels in the U.S. I'm looking at a 10-year that does react a little bit more up about one basis points. The shorter end had been moving up about four basis points, but that knee-jerk reaction just settling a little bit ahead of the weekend. And I'm looking at Bitcoin, which had been lower versus a higher dollar, but maybe that just soothing a little bit post-power. Let's digest what's happening on the micro as well, because if we settle back in to a trading range in that pro front, I'm looking at the Warner Brothers discovery down by 3.3%. This is, we know that the striking actors and, of course, the writers has real-world consequences on whether you can see the next installment of Dune, of Godzilla, of Lord of the Rings being pushed back into 2024, and so shares are under pressure. I'm looking at Workday, though, managing to outperform the back of its numbers. Some analysts seeing some growth of subscriptions of up to 20% over the next 12 months, so managing to be a bit of a shining light on the day after its numbers. And NVIDIA, though, after its numbers, the euphoria, the outperformance, we sink. Look, it's still up 5% on the week, but on the day, we're down by almost 4%. So clearly, a little bit of digesting of how far NVIDIA's run up, but also interesting what we've heard out of China with them as well, Ed. Uh, that is the story and picture in technology markets. This is a technology story that you do not want to miss. Let's talk hacking and how an 18-year-old and a 17-year-old ended up being at the center of a seven-week criminal trial in London for their role in a hacking group that's cracked the likes of NVIDIA and Uber and a group that cyber experts have called, quote, unique for its effectiveness, speed, creativity and boldness. Bloomberg's Catherine Gemmel has all the details. This was a fascinating read. Grand Theft Auto, the video game at the heart of it. Just give me the basics here. Help us understand. Yes, thanks for having me on. So there was a seven-week trial um, in London court this summer involving Arian Kurtage, who's an 18-year-old, and an unnamed 17-year-old who we can't name because he's a minor. And they were both accused of a 12-count indictment, and that included hacks against um, a UK phone company called BT's EE, including hacks against NVIDIA, and then solely for Arian, hacks against um, GTA's um, much-anticipated sequel GTA 6, and Uber and UK fintech company Revolut. So, you know, they were accused of using a number of different techniques, included social engineering, pretending to be contractors, in order to get onto these company systems, steal data, and then upload onto the internet and also ask these companies for ransom. I mean, the whole story is absolutely fascinating, read, and the way in which, you know, ultimately we're seeing the lawyers fight back and really talk about how this is vulnerable individuals with severe neurodevelopment disorders, how they're treated by the police and the courts, and they're really focusing perhaps on the autism of one of the main players here. But I'm interested in more about the underlying desires of what Lapsus is up to, the group that has been seen as just so effective, efficient in the way in which they're managing to penetrate big businesses. Why are they doing it? 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's important to point out that it wasn't just Arion and the unnamed 17-year-old who were involved in this laptop hacker collective. Um, over the course of the trial, um, it was also agreed by the prosecution and defence that there was other individuals involved in this group who, um, who you know, authorities can't pin down. Um, I mean, some of their motivations were for money, for notoriety. Um, you can get a lot of credit online um, and forums and such for these sorts of hackings. And also just laws. Um, I think, you know, it's important to remember that these are just teenagers and um, yes. to be able to get, you know, important clips of GTA would, would be quite fun for them. So let's focus on a case study or an example that you reported, which is Grand Theft Auto, a Rockstar Games title. What, what happened in that instance? Yeah, so in the Rockstar Games hack, um, that was done solely by Courtage, and that was while he was on bail for previous hacking charges. Um, and what he did there was, along with the other Lapsus Collective, he used techniques called social engineering, which meant that they stole contractors' um, information and used it to be able to sign on to Rockstar's system. They then downloaded um, videos and source codes of the new GTA game, um, and that included 90 live gameplay videos. And then they uploaded that onto a GTA forum and asked Rockstar to contact them, assumedly for a ransom. Um, so that meant that, you know, on these forums, all of these never-before-seen um, clips of this game were just out there for everyone to find. As it stands, we don't actually know whether any money was were given to these particular groups. But for now, Catherine Gamel, absolutely fascinating read. Thank you for bringing what has been quite the showdown in the courts. Meanwhile, let's turn to the showdown that is China's macroeconomy and some of its micro players. Mage One, of course, we mentioned it earlier, the firm falling on, well, the turbulence being faced by the economy. We want to dive into all of this after its numbers and the digestion of it with Isabel Lee and Bloomberg's Henry Wren. Great to have you both here. And before we go macro, just go micro for us, Henry. What did we hear? It seemed to be the four costs that were worrying people. Yes, exactly. The results itself isn't bad. Um, so the company recorded 33% of revenue growth in the second quarter. So that was the fastest pace in two years. However, it was really the outlook that has been disappointing. The company said on the earnings call that its food delivery segment, which is its cash cow, is going to um, the its revenue growth as well as order growth will be uh, missing analysts' previous expectations. And that's because of two reasons. One is because of the extreme weather, especially in the northern part of China, so because of the flooding issues in areas surrounding Beijing, but also as well as the macro slowdowns you mentioned, because um, the worry is really about the Chinese consumers because of these macro, macro issues having been spending so much, and that has been the key concern for the stock in Hong Kong trading. There are loads of Isabel competing forces in China, right? The story was we're coming out of that kind of delayed pandemic era reopening. Then the Chinese government started to pull back its regulatory crackdown on the technology sector. And the technology sector in the early part of earnings season seemed to suggest the Chinese consumer is strong. But they all kind of contradict each other. And those stories have moved on really fast, Isabel. Yes, you kind of have to really keep a close track on the Chinese narrative because it can be a bit confusing. So in the beginning, the rebound didn't happen as people wanted it to. So now people were hoping, OK, let's hope for some weakness so we get stimulus. But then when the government still didn't want to give that it's sort of a classic be careful with what you wish for case in Meituan as with other Chinese tech peers is the barometer of the Chinese economy and we're seeing that consumers are being hurt we have prices in China falling exports are struggling one in five youth don't have jobs so this is a clear sign that the consumers ahead won't be as 
well positioned as they are right now because Henry's right, this was a good report, but this, that was for the quarter ending in June. So ahead is a lot murkier and we have heard from the CEO himself that it is kind of looking shaky for them. I mean, it does feel shakier in China and certainly the different well, central bank policy making that has to happen over there vis-a-vis -vis the US. But it's a global theme. We don't know where the consumer is going. We're concerned about how much they're going to be spending on experiences, on, on going out. Isabel, that seemed to be what propped us up in the previous quarter, at least, was the fact that everyone wanted to do things rather than spend on things tangible in nature. Exactly right. So for a while, it was a monolith. The world was moving in lockstep everyone was recovering from the pandemic but then we all recovered at different paces so we looked at this closely in america consumers are spending way faster than people in europe for instance or maybe even in china so people are recovering at different paces and the thing with china is consumers are largely domestic so it's different for them so how chinese com um, companies are doing how the tech sector is performing is kind of a clear sign of how the Chinese consumers are feeling and how they're feeling isn't really that great. Um, but we have news, for instance, China today, it unveiled a further easing of its mortgage policies. That kind of pushed a rally so far in equities, but then it kind of paired back. So we can see China trying a little bit to boost spending, but for now it's not looking that good. You know, Henry, Meituan, honestly, it's like one of the China technology names we discuss less often on the show. But like so many Chinese tech companies, it's multifaceted. It has many different arms growing unevenly. Was there any strength, any pocket of performance within Meituan's offering? Yes, definitely. So it's food delivery service. It's half of its um, business landscape. So it's definitely the most important one. It has been doing pretty well. But as we said, for the next quarter, it can be more difficult for them. It's a group grocery buying business. So that's a business of offering uh, residents at their neighborhoods for them to pick up the groceries at the local uh, grocery shop. That business is growing very fast. However, there is a concern about competition. So uh, the competition is from players like PDD or Pinduoduo. So these players are, are, are crashing, crashing yes. in and trying to grab more market share from uh, Meituan as well. But all, also from the other side, so for example, for the uh, restaurant table booking and these kind of local services segment, it's also facing competition as well from ByteDance, from some other players. So these are the competitions that Meituan has been facing. And that just added up to the macro concerns facing Meituan at this point. All right, fantastic team coverage. Bloomberg's Isabel Lee and Bloomberg's Henry Wren, thank you both. Sticking with technology in the Asia region, as we look at a tiny Japanese factory that's handcrafting $11,000 mics for some of the world's best vocalists. Sony Tayo, a subsidiary of the Sony Group, churns out some of its top audio products while giving people with disabilities a fair chance in the workplace. Listen to this. From Drake and Rihanna to Mariah Carey and Dr. Dre, the C800G studio mic used by top stars comes from one of Sony's most treasured places. This Sony factory in southern Japan is known as the heart of its audio business, where workers craft its top-of-the-line headphones, earphones, and microphones all by hand. To accommodate workers with various physical challenges, Sony created a so-called cellular manufacturing system where a single employee is responsible for a given product from start to finish. Koichi Kano has been making MDR headphones for the past 17 years. 
I started here when I was 18 and tasked with making the whole headset myself so I feel personally responsible for it. The company says its revenues tripled after adopting this method in 1999. Sony Tayo serves as a rare example of hand craftsmanship winning in the age of mass manufacturing. It's also pushing forward the vision of Sony co-founder Masaru Ibuka, who wanted to give people with disabilities an equal chance to compete in the workplace. With more than 60% of employees with disabilities, we are contributing every day to both Sony Group and diversity efforts in society. Now, it's morphed into modern-day proof of the enduring value of human skill. We sometimes hear feedback after the products appear on TV or in magazines and online. When customers say they're glad they bought it or they enjoy a particular feature, it's like they're really noticing my work. And that's rewarding. What a great story, Bloomberg's Karumi Mori there. Meanwhile, coming up, do you want to get instant care for your child's pediatrician in just well, 15 minutes? We're going to be speaking with the CEO of telehealth startup Summer next on the state of healthcare, their business. Also intrigued as to how ChatGPT is perhaps tempting some to think they've got all the answers themselves. From New York, from San Francisco, this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Focus in on the startup landscape for a moment and digital health in particular. Pediatric telehealth startup Summer Health it aims to make responses to common medical questions for children easily accessible through its platform in a matter of like 15 minutes. The idea it seems to be resonating not only with users but investors too. We've got Sequoia, Lux Capital, Box Group to name but a few standouts. Elinda Silva is with us right now, Summer Health CEO and founder, to talk about. Ellen, the growth trajectory and what makes you different? I'm a mum who, of course, has that panic in the middle of the night when a fever is going to a certain level and do you take your child into A&E or not? 
We luckily have access to telehealth through the benefits that I have here. How is what you're offering different from me getting my usual telehealth? Yeah, um, Caroline, thank you and Ed so much for having me on. Summer Health is a pediatric telehealth platform that connects patients to providers in under 15 minutes. It's a very human feeling experience, as you described, because you have kids. I have three kids of my own. There is this visceral feeling of bewilderment or panic when your child gets sick and you don't know what to do. Summer Health aims to turn your phone into its own doctor's office. And so um, with a simple text message in under 15 minutes, we can connect you straight to a pediatrician. We're live in all 50 states, uh, which makes it really easy if you're traveling um, to get that kind of care. We're different because we have a very human-centered approach. Mm. While I understand that AI has become this uh, big wave and this big phase, we use that to power a lot of the back-end and administrative work of providers so that they can get front-facing and do what they love, which is helping patients. I'm still kind of questioning what exactly the differentiation is, though, in that I can also get a person on a phone is it just that they're directly pediatricians yeah, so, that's so, slightly different here? Yeah, so we've got, we've got uh, pediatri- licensed pediatricians in all 50 states who really get to know you. What mm. we aim to do is not just urgent care, but rather um, whole human care. Okay. And so when you text us, it's not just that middle of the night my child's throwing up, but it's also what should I pack my child for a nutritious lunch for school? Or how can I deal with separation anxiety at the start of the school year? Uh, we offer a lot more than just urgent care, which is where I think a lot of telehealth platforms to date have, have sort of faltered. Ellen, good morning from San Francisco. Good you know, morning. it's interesting, you're backed by Lux Capital, general partner, Dina Shakir, somebody we know on this program very well. And at the time they did your seed round, they put a lot of emphasis on you, a founder, like a lot of experience as a healthcare executive. My question is, why did you think you needed to make this app and this company? What, what gap did you spot? Yeah, um, so I had the fortune of getting to build a very large telehealth platform prior to starting Summer Health. But from my own personal experience, I realized just how powerful I could feel as a parent um, knowing that my children were healthy if we had constant access to care. That is not available in uh, today's healthcare environment because there is a huge shortage of pediatricians. Two years ago, there was a survey done by the American Medical Association that one in three pediatricians were planning on leaving their practice within uh, the the next two years. And looking back two years later, we've seen that. Um, About 33% of the pediatric workforce has left. And so what we're trying to do is increase the supply of pediatricians and make it much more accessible. Um, It's something that uh, no other telehealth company has really thought about. And we've leaned very heavily into this message-based care to make that a possibility. I have lived in this country for almost six years, you know, a completely different healthcare system from the UK where I'm from, where insurance plays such a big role. What is your business model? Do you charge the consumer directly? Are you dependent on on uh, insurance coverage for your users? Yeah, thankfully, because we offer entirely message-based care, we've been able to keep the cost rather low for our patients. Right now, Summer Health only costs $20 per month, and that's for unlimited usage of the service. Um, So we really aim to be accessible to a very broad swath of the population. I'm looking at your prior experience course. Hims and Hers is one of the companies that stand out as your your experience. You're also over at Twitter for four years at one point. RIP, now X. I'm interested in 
when we are, you talked about AI, artificial intelligence, and that pervades all of the companies that I just mentioned. How are you fighting parents' desire to just get all their answers from ChatGPT, from Bard, and make the feeling as though they've got it all at their fingertips anyway? Yeah. Um, we think about this a lot at Summer Health because I think there is a temptation to go to a service like ChatGPT and just ask your questions. But ChatGPT doesn't have a lot of the backstory that we get from those frequent touch points. We tend to know a lot more about your child than even your own pediatrician because our parents come to us multiple times per month asking those small, in-the-crack style questions. And therefore, we're able to give you extremely personalized care. But we're not, doing, we're not shying away from AI and we're not doing without it. Um, we believe that there's a lot of power in powering the administrative work that our providers are doing. So a lot of the back end of Summer Health is still powered by artificial intelligence, but that you can get a very human touch, the I can help you. And I, we have a lot of pediatricians who are parents on the platform and can give a lot of personal recommendation from their own experience as parents. Great to have some time with you. probably seen the mugshot. There is a tweet, an X, that has come back from Donald Trump on that platform and is hitting one particular company hard, Digital World Acquisition. It's the SPAC that, of course, is looking to take Donald Trump's truth social public. Ed is higher now by 3.3%. It was a lower because, of course, many were questioning how much he was going to be using this platform in the run-up to presidential elections. Let's dive into all of this, of course. We want to look at the significance of this Trump X with Ryan Teague Beckwith. Ryan, what do you make of the importance? Well, I think for uh, politically for Trump, there's a lot of downside risk to being back on Twitter. He's been posting a lot of things on True Social that are very similar to the things that he used to post on X, uh, formerly Twitter. Um, but on X, they're also being seen by people who don't like him, and they remind those people why they don't like him. So there's a lot bigger audience there. Uh, there's a lot more ability to drive the news uh, cycle, as he previously did when he was on there, but it's a lot less friendly audience than he's getting on Truth Social. I think it's important to point out, Caro, the shares are higher. I think pres former President Trump did post on Truth Social saying, Truth Social is my home. So maybe some confidence of that. Bloomberg's Ryan Teague Beckwith on the social media beat since Trump's time in 2016. Meanwhile, well, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology for the day for the weekend. Wow, a mega week. Mega. NVIDIA, the storing that, that just keeps giving but then fell away. Check out the podcast and recap. This is Bloomberg Technology. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.